Amen. I want to continue in that. I do. I, I, we're not breaking from worship right now. Kids, you can go on to children's church, but, you know, I've said it before, worship's not over when the song stops. We're continuing in that same spirit. I love that song, right? Inviting the Holy Spirit here. Honestly, that's, that's all that matters tonight. I hope you know that. Right? If you leave here and you're like, man, I don't, I don't, I'm not really tracking with that guy's sermon, uh, I hope you just really leave knowing that the presence of God is real and it dwells here. Uh, thank you guys for leading us. Um, Aaron, your voice is absolutely heavenly. It's really unbelievable. Thank you for singing. Uh, Josh, yours is too, buddy. I love you. Um, um, to Patrick, thanks for the reminder. Um, I hope you were tracking with what he was saying. I love that he took a bunch of students and, and started ministering in Morrisville and was helping out Calvary. And, and he's reminding us, right, that, uh, the, that our calling, our purpose as the church is not just to gather, but it's to scatter, right? We always need that reminder. Um, I was at an adoption conference this weekend with my wife, and it was good to just sit under encouraging truth. Sometimes we need to be reminded about, you know, the bigger picture and what God is doing. Uh, and on that note, let me just remind you, Saturday, remember when we started this three and a half years ago? Uh, we didn't do it because we were just sitting around bored. We had a purpose, right? And the purpose was saying, hey, let's get people into the church that are not normally in the church, right? Let's extend our reach. Uh, so let's not forget that there's intention here, right? I don't want you to keep showing up and forgetting this is for a purpose. And that goes for Sunday morning too, right? Uh, the purpose is not just to gather, it's to scatter. So, don't forget that. Um, let's see, we're going to continue in our, our movement series, but I had something else I wanted to talk about first. I don't remember what it was. I, I did, I, while it's on my mind, I did tell Gerald Blake we'd pray for Mitty. Gerald has been a part of our service uh, for years. Every, every week Gerald's here, sitting with the Collins usually, but Mitty fell today and, and she's not well and she's in the ER, and so I told him we'd lift her up in prayer. I love the Blakes very much. So uh, let's send him a, a note of encouragement afterwards um, and pray for him. Um, are you guys hot right now, or is the temperature okay? Yeah, all right. <laughs> Andy is adamantly against the temperature being okay. It is not okay. Um, pa Patrick, can you check out the thermostat? <laughs> um, it's, it's hot up here, and I was hot down there. So anyways, we were planning on, Patrick and I were planning on putting all the chairs back in here for next week, or excuse me, for June. But I think we need to start doing that by next week, all right? Because um, we're filling this place up. Um, again, welcome. We're glad you're here. We're glad to continue in this series in, uh, really, throughout the whole Bible, right? It's called Movement, a, a series on focusing in on the hand of God at work, right? We're being very intentional with going back through the storyline of the Bible to see the fingerprints of God. We want to see that this is a story not about, you know, one hero after another, but really it's a story about God. And as we do that, my prayer is that you begin to see the fingerprints of God at work in your life, right? Within the details. We want to see him at work behind the scenes. So we've gone, well, how about a recap? Let's do a recap because sometimes when you get further and further into, you know, the season, whether it's a, a, a show or whatever, what, you know, what have you, you forget why it all started. Let's go back. Who remembers the book we started with? Don't say Genesis. Zechariah, right? Your favorite book, Zechariah. Chapter 4, verse 6, right? Lyle started us off with this kind of this theme verse that said, it's not by might, it's not by power, it's by my spirit, declares the Lord. Right? And that's really the, the prayer behind this, the goal behind this series is to see that it is not uh, man accomplishing God's plan. It's God using man to accomplish his plan, right? 
which means, guys, you don't have to leave here and go accomplish things for God. He wants to use you to accomplish things for him, okay? So rest in that truth. So then we did go to Genesis, right? We started at the beginning. All right, let's see how God's plan is unfolding. And then we went to Exodus and then Joshua, uh, then Ruth, right? Then First Chronicles. Now we're in the Kings tonight. So you can actually turn to First Kings 19. And on the latter part tonight, we'll jump to Second Kings. But First Kings 19 is where we'll be. My prayer, guys, is that as we've gone through this, you are encouraged in a couple of ways. One, I hope that you're finding... Um, security, security in your soul, to know that your future uh, is not something that you can manipulate or control. I hope that you're realizing you don't have to carry the weight of the world on your shoulders. I hope what this series is teaching us is that you can rest in the sovereignty of God, and you can rest in the fact that even God is, God is using people who are uh, failures, right? I mean, just absolute failures, and he's still accomplishing his plans because he's a faithful God. This series has given me permission to not be God, right? It's giving you permission to not be God. I love you, but you're not a good God, right? I told you that the other week. I love you, but you're not a good God. And so this, as we step back, right, and observe the hand of God moving his promises forward, it gives us freedom. It gives us freedom to jump into that current. We don't have to carry the weight of the world, right? We get to be a part of what God is doing. So, we come this week to 1 Kings 19. We're going to pick up with a story about Elijah and Elisha. Elijah. All right. Elijah comes first. I'm trying to think of how I remember it. I think it's the J becomes before the S, right? Yeah. So Elijah uh, comes first. Now, it's both of them. They, they kind of take the focal point tonight, and a, a pattern has developed that I want you to take notice of because every week it seems like. Um, the person we're focusing on is not just, it's not just a singular focal point. We're looking at generations. We're looking at successors. And the Bible's set up this way, right? Uh, you don't just look at Abram. You look at Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. There's generations within the picture. You don't just look at Moses. We looked at Moses and Joshua, right? We didn't just look at Ruth. We looked at Boaz, who fathered Jesse, who fathered David. We didn't just look at David. We looked at Solomon and how he's connected. We're not just looking at Elijah, we're looking at Elisha, right? And that's the point. That's how the Bible's supposed to be read and understood. When I was a kid, I learned every story as just random isolated events, right? And we put, you know, felt board Moses on the thing and then felt board Abraham on the thing. And I never knew how it was connected. But you're supposed to read the Bible in light of every link that makes, about, makes this big chain, right? This is a, a generational story. And now, church, we're that next link, right? What are you going to do with what the time that God's given you? We're that next link in the chain. Elijah understood he was a link in the chain. I want us to see that tonight. Elisha understood uh, that he was a piece of the puzzle, right? He wasn't the whole picture. Elisha was willing to be a small piece, and really, that's my question for you tonight. That's one thing I want you to come back to. Are you willing to be used by God? We're not really willing to be used by anybody else. In fact, that's a negative term, right? So-and-so used me. Yet we're like, we want God to use us. I think a lot of times what we really mean by that is, Lord, use me so I get some recognition. But are you willing to be the puzzle piece? Billy said last week that David was more concerned about the mission of God than his own ambition. 
Think about that for your life. Are you more concerned for the mission of God rather than your own ambition in life, right? Are you more concerned for the advancement of the gospel or your own reputation? What if we prayed for revival tonight and it happened, but it happened through the church down the road? Would you rejoice? Or would you be upset that God didn't use us, right? Like, what, are you more concerned with the glory of God or the glory of yourself? Elisha was willing to take that back seat. He was willing to promote the mission of God over his own ambition. And, and that's where we have to come to, Bailey. We've got to get out of the way, right? If we want to see the hand of God at work, I'm sorry, but you've got to step aside, right? You've got to join into his current instead of being out front, which is our natural inclination. So let's um, dive into the text. Let's look at Elisha. Um, we're jumping into 1 Kings 19, verse 19. Uh, at this point, Elijah has had quite the life. Uh, if you don't know who Elijah is, he's a prophet in the Old Testament, really stood against King Ahab. Uh, uh, he's famous for, you know, calling fire down from heaven and, and showing Yahweh to be the one true God and not Baal. Um, Elijah knew victory and he knew loneliness. He had high highs and low lows, right? He was uh, decisive and bold, but also depressed sometimes and, and weary. So uh, really a relatable person, I find. Um, but we pick up in the story where he comes and he calls Elisha. All right, so we're going to take these next few moments, focus in on the last few verses of chapter 19. And, and the approach tonight, guys, is, is honestly just let's gain truth from each line of Scripture. All right, like that's, that's our outline tonight. Let's just see what God is saying to us. You know, Emily and I met a couple last night when we were out at a restaurant and we just had a conversation and she asked me what I did. I told her I was a pastor. She said, why, why did you choose that? And I said, I didn't choose that. I would have never chosen that <laughs> if you had known me. Um, I said, God called me to be a pastor. She said, God called you. How do you hear from God? I said, that's a great question. Um, and we talked about that, but I pointed her first. You, gotta, you hear from God by going to the Bible, right? So if you want to hear from God tonight, we're going to go to the Bible. Let's gain some truth from the Bible. It's right here, okay? Verse 19. We're, we're introducing ourselves to Elisha. So he departed, Elijah did, from there and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was uh, plowing with 12 yoke of oxen in front of him, and he was the 12th. All right, we'll pause there. So from that one sentence, we can kind of learn about Elisha's situation. All right, we can, uh, we can assume that he comes from a pretty stable home, right? Probably financially blessed. Um, life is, is pretty I wouldn't say easy, but he's not worried. He's not in poverty. Matter of fact, if he didn't want to be on this, these ox plowing, he probably wouldn't have to. Yet, there he is in the field, right? Just like David was when God called him. Elisha's out in the field. And he's disrupted by Elijah. So we can look at this and say, okay, Elisha, pretty comfortable scenario, pretty comfortable situation here. Let me ask you, you ever... You ever wonder how you would respond if God called you in your comfort? Right, I was thinking about that. We always want God to get involved in our, in our pain and our suffering. We always want to hear from God in our despair, in our grief. But are we calling upon God in our comfort? When God calls upon you in your comfort, how would you respond? Honestly, I think so many of us have gotten comfortable that we're bored. I think we're so comfortable. We set out to achieve what we wanted and we did it. And now we're comfortable and we're bored. And so God often calls us out of that, right? Not because he wants discomfort for your life, but he, but he, he wants you to live. 
afraid. He wants your faith to be exercised. He doesn't want you to waste your life away. And so he calls Elisha in this moment, out of a moment of stability, out of a, a place of familiarity, and he calls him forward into the unknown. Right? Just like he called Abraham to leave the familiar. Just like he called uh, Moses out of the luxuries of Pharaoh's palace. Just like he called Ruth away from her culture. Now he's calling Elisha out of this place of comfort. Again, not because he wants misery for your life. But because he wants you to be, he wants his people to be walking by faith. So he calls him out. Let's keep going. It says, Elijah passed by him, the end of verse 19, and cast his cloak upon him, which was just a, a way of kind of transitioning the prophetic office, if you will. And verse 20 says, he left the oxen and, and ran after Elijah and said, let me kiss my father and mother and then I'll follow you. All right? And he said to him, go back again for what have I done to you? Basically, yeah, sure, do whatever you got to do, man. Um, that's the Greek trend, or the Hebrew translation. A um, couple things come to mind when I read that verse. What's, what's sticking in your mind right now? You, you're going to see that same kind of situation in about 850 years, right? It's, it's kind of uh, setting us up to see how Jesus is going to call his disciples. Remember, his disciples dropped their nets immediately and followed him. Um, but there's also something else playing out here. We see uh, in, in the Gospels, you remember when that one guy's like, man, let me go bury my father, and Jesus is like, no. And the other guy's like, well, can I go get things in order at my house? And Jesus is like, no. And you're like, wow, that's pretty rude, Jesus. But what's the point in that, right? He didn't literally say no. He said, listen, no one who puts their hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of heaven, right? What we're seeing actually is a picture of a greater Elijah, which is how he's painted in the New Testament, right? That there is a Messiah who is worthy of abandoning everything on the spot, right? He's worthy of our allegiance and our obedience. The picture is there to show us that, look, he's not just some prophet. He is Messiah. So even in these verses, we see a glimpse of how the, the Savior of the world will draw people unto himself, invite them uh, into discipleship. So verse 21 says he returned and uh, he returned from following him and took the yoke of oxen and sacrificed them and boiled their flesh. Uh, yummy. Boiled flesh. I love that. Um, with the yolks of the oxen and gave it to people, uh, the people, and they ate. Did you catch that? See what he just did? I mean, he literally just erased his fallback plan. There is no plan B at this point. There is no safety net at this point. His livelihood of the past is now gone. I mean, this is a picture of complete faith moving forward. Again, we saw that throughout the story. We saw that every step of the way with Abraham, with Moses, with, with Joshua, with, with Ruth. Right now, Elisha has this moment of, I've got to move forward in faith. Uh, I've got to step out into this unknown, which we call unknown, but God knows it. And he's calling us out there by faith. I don't know if you've heard the story of Hernan Cortez, the Spanish conquistador. Conquistador? Did I say that right? It's a fun word anyways. Um, who sailed to Mexico in 1519, right? And he sought out to conquer the Aztec people. And uh, he gets, off, gets all his men off the boat, all of his equipment off the boat. You know this story? What's he say? Burn the ships. Burn the ships. Do what? 
right? Burn the ships. Why? Because now you have no option to go back. Now retreat is not an option. We only move forward. We only accomplish victory. Well, what happens if we lose? Don't lose, right? Here's the thing with God. He's calling us forward, and we're acting like there's we're acting like victory isn't already won, right? And we have a tendency to retreat, and that's fear-based, right? Right now, Elisha's fear would say, no, retreat and preserve. Abram's fear says retreat and preserve. Ruth's fear would have said, no, retreat and preserve. I see a lot of Christians operating out of fear, and they don't even know it. The reason I know it is because they're more concerned with preserving the way things are out of sake of for sake of security and comfort, then they are stepping forward and watching the hand of God do mighty works. We've got to be willing to say, burn the ships, cut it off. For Elisha, it was kill the oxen, right? He wasn't short on food. He was just making sure that when this didn't work out, he wasn't immediately turning back. Some of us have to cut ties with this stuff, man. We're trying to play this game, keeping one foot in two worlds, right? For some of us, the past has become our identity, whether it's success or failure. We find security either in our pain, ironically, or in our success. And so we attach ourselves to it. You got to cut it off. Burn the ships. Kill the oxen. Move forward. Yeah, but I don't know. That next step is scary. Exactly. Elisha is leaving everything at this point because he's more concerned with being a puzzle piece in the greater picture than he is in a comfortable life. Think about a puzzle piece. It's, it's unflattering by itself. Those protrusions can, you know, they represent for us maybe the giftings, the talents of the church, those indentions that represent the messiness, the brokenness, the sin of the church. When you put it right in that piece where it fits, you don't even notice it. You see the beauty, right? You see the glory. You see the masterpiece. Elisha was willing to say, you know what? I'll burn all this. I'll come be your assistant. I'll be your intern. If it means stepping into the will of God. And that's what he did. The last sentence of the chapter says, He arose and went after Elijah and assisted him. Literally aided him or served him. Are you willing to take that role? Are you willing to be used by God so that he gets the glory? Again, we all want to be used by God, right? But a lot of times that's just code for God use me so that I get recognized. You really, we've really got to check and make sure our heart is for the glory of God. It is for the mission of God, not our own ambition. And when we're honest with ourselves, I think there's a, a lot there that says, no, I think you, you really just want people to notice you. So now let's jump to 2 Kings. 2 Kings chapter um, before we dive into 2 Kings 2, I just want to give you a moment. Just process. Just think. Um, what is God speaking to you right now? Lock that in your brain. Write that down. I don't want to leave here when you forget or you, you know, pass it over. Just lock it in right now. You're like, dude, I don't even, I'm not even following you. I don't care. Stop listening to me. Listen to the Spirit. All right? Lock it in. How is God speaking to you? This, uh, at the conference we were at this weekend... There was an hour this morning dedicated to just prayer and reflection, right? And we are, we're just kind of forced in this time of, of silence. And if you know me, like, that gives me anxiety. I'm sweating just telling you about that, right? But uh, it's so necessary to just pause, to lock in these moments where God is speaking, right? We're absorbing so much information all the time. Pause. 
What's the Spirit speaking to you? When you leave here, deal with it. Wrestle with it. Surrender it. Confess it. Right? Some of you are defeated right now. Let the Lord encourage you. Let him speak life into you. All right? But this I call to mind. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies are new. All right, let him speak to you. All right, now, let's go to 2 Kings. We're at the end of Elijah's life now. Um, at this point, he and Elisha have been partners for almost a decade. All right, so we can assume that they've lived a lot of life together. They've, they've laughed together. They've cried together. They've fought. Right? They've argued. Elijah's taught him a lot of things. Elisha's probably grown uh, in a lot of ways. They've lived life together. But then you come to verse 1 of chapter 2, and he says, When the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven by a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. And Elijah said to Elijah, Please stay here, for the Lord has sent me as far as Bethel. But Elisha said, As the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. All right? So... When your kids tell you, if you have young kids, you know, when you say do this and they say no, what's our response? It's usually, excuse me, right? I will give you another try because that was the wrong answer. But Elijah says nothing. Reminds me of Naomi, right? Back in Ruth. She asked Ruth and Orpah three times, stay here. Elijah asked Elisha three times, stay put. Right? And in both cases, Ruth and Elijah, they, they say no, and they proceed forward. Now, Orpah, she turned away, right? Faith brought her a little way. She was, she was halfway in, but then that fear set in, which says, trust your instinct, trust your logic, trust your reason, preserve yourself. Don't step out into that unknown place. Sink back, right? It's that third time that counts. And every time Ruth said, no, I'm coming. My people, your people, your God, my God. That kind of thing. My identity now has changed. This is a moment of faith, again, just like it was for Ruth stepping out. That's why Naomi went silent, because there's something bigger happening. Every time here, Elijah goes silent. Why does he do this? This theme is even present in Jesus' ministry. You ever pick up on that? Sometimes we think of Jesus as just this guy begging people to follow him. He pretty much did the opposite of that, right? He would, he would gather crowds and then say crazy things, right? Like, John 6, come and drink my blood and eat my flesh. Like, that's not a great move, Jesus. And it says in that next paragraph in John 6, many of his disciples walked away. Disciples, people who followed him, people who once walked with him now said, no, you're crazy, right? They said, this God thing is crazy, so they walked away. So then what does Jesus do? He looks at the 12 and he says, you want to go too? You can leave. Why does he do that? Like, aren't you trying to gain followers? No, he's not. He's trying to gain disciples. He's not looking to build numbers, guys. I'm not looking to build numbers, right? If you're here to, to satisfy your religious itch, please don't come back. Save that seat for somebody who wants to grow in Christ, all right? Jesus is trying to run people off because he wants disciples. Elijah is testing Elisha right here. And Elisha demonstrates persistence, doesn't he? Perseverance, right? Elijah's saying, all right, this past decade, has he really learned anything? Right? Is he willing to press forward? I think a lot of us have lost that persistence in our pursuit of Christ, right? Faith takes us to a certain level, but then we just retreat back, right? Because culture tells us one thing, man tells us one thing, and then 
you know, we get to that level and we sink back. But it's that third time that counts. Elisha goes all the way. So you pick up and down in verse 9. They've crossed the Jordan and it says, when Elijah, excuse me, when they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, ask what I shall do for you before I'm taken from you. All right, so it's kind of this picture of this father-son, right? You can show the, see the nature of the relationship just by this question. This is what a, a dad would have said to his son on his deathbed, right, as he transferred that inheritance. And, and the son would have, the firstborn at least, would have gotten the, the double portion, right? Deuteronomy 21, 17. So this was customary. Shows us again, this is a very tight relationship. So Elijah says, please let there be a double portion, all right? Of what? You can ask for anything. A double portion of your spirit on me. That's what he asked. Elisha was willing to be a puzzle piece because a puzzle piece always has eternity in mind. It has the whole picture in mind, right? Elisha right now is more concerned with the advancement of God's purposes than he is his own situation. Uh, he's not interested in Elijah's fame or his, uh, you know, his talents. He just wants God's blessing, right? If you could ask for, for anything from God right now, what would it be? When you pray and you ask God for things, what is it? Elisha had eternity in mind. And we know that because of what he's asking for right here. He's not asking for material uh, possessions. He's not asking for an earthly inheritance. He simply wants to continue the ministry. He just wants to continue walking with the Lord. He's more concerned about eternity than reputation, right? More concerned about the eternal inheritance and his personal situation. We're not even going to read the rest of the text. I'm just going to leave that there. I just want you to, to walk away with that question in mind. If I could ask God for anything, what would it be? And if it's personal gain, that's a good indicator that we're more concerned about reputation than God's kingdom. Church, I love you, but you're a puzzle piece. The story is not about you. It's about God. And the amazing thing is that he uses you in it. Right? We learned or were reminded this weekend at this conference that God is the father of the fatherless. You know how? Because he uses fathers. Right? He, he's using us to be a part of the brokenness and to enter into it and minister and reconcile and redeem and show how the gospel brings, back to, uh, brings things to new again. Let's be that. Let's be a puzzle piece. Let's be a link in the chain. And let's be okay with it. Let's stop seeking the spotlight and rejoice when God's kingdom moves forward. Even when he doesn't use you, he uses somebody else to do it. Let's come alongside and say, yes, I want that. More of that. Yes, God. Let's put the spotlight back on God. Let's pray together.